congregation. This afternoon we deal with Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 7. And there we confess from the Word of God the following. Are all men then saved by Christ just as they perish through Adam? No. Only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. What is true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. What then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary. What are these articles? And then follow the uh, 12 articles of the Apostles' Creed as we confessed that earlier on in uh, worship. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, boys and girls, who belong to the Lord. Is it harder to believe today than it was, say, 100 years ago? A lot of people think it is. It's harder to believe today than in the past. People in the past had questions, but they also accepted clear answers. Answers that satisfied them. That's different nowadays. Today, we, we live in a time when also at school, students are taught to question a lot of things. Question things that were accepted in the past. The convictions of the past, we could say, make way for uncertainties in the present. In the past, you could say you had a set package of truths in the church, a structure fully reasoned out, but that, that structure seems kind of shaky today for a lot of people. People question whether the old truths can stand up to the knowledge we have today. And that, it said, makes it harder to believe. And our forefathers also had fewer issues to deal with, fewer things to think through, because um, news didn't travel fast in those days, in the past. You didn't hear all about the conflicts and the debates, the disasters and the crimes in those days like you do today on the radio or internet or on your smartphone. Those things are all shown and analyzed in the media today, right 
the day things happen, already people are analyzing everything and questioning all kinds of things. And that also causes people today to be more questioning. Why does God allow those kind of things to happen? For instance, in, in Kenya, why, why doesn't he stop those kind of things, innocent people? Is God really in control? Doubts about God. Doubts about the faith we confess. What difference does it make to, to believe? What difference does it make to belong to church? Well, I proclaim to you the word of God as we confess that in Lord's Day 7 this afternoon about faith. And our, our theme is faith brings blessing. And we see first uh, that it brings a relationship with Christ and secondly, the assurance through his spirit. First, the relationship with Christ. Things get kind of uh, intimate in this Lord's Day congregation. We confess here that by true faith, people are engrafted into Christ. Grafted into Christ. And that, that means inserted into the body of Christ. And you, you can think here of something like a transplant. A donor's heart or kidney is engrafted into a, a patient's body, inserted there and attached, becomes part of the patient's body, part and parcel of that person. That's how we are grafted into Christ by faith. That's how intimate the relationship between him and us by faith. We in him and he in us. That's what we want to celebrate next Sunday afternoon with the Lord's Supper celebration. We seek our life outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. And he comes to us as in bread and wine. We eat and drink that bread and wine. And that is absorbed by our bodies. He in us, we in him. Closest possible relationship, if you think about that. Is that relationship harder to maintain today than in the past? Kind of asked that already, right? It sometimes looks like it, right? So many people are giving up on the Bible today on, on the Christian faith. Believing what the Bible says, taking it at his word is, is old-fashioned. The Christian faith doesn't seem to match what's going on in the real world. Faith and life are so hard to bring in line, they don't seem to fit together anymore. The big gap here, two different worlds, two different languages almost, two different cultures, we could say. I'm out in the world during doing my work and everything during the week, 
And then I come in church and sit and the sermon does sit here and the sermon doesn't really seem to touch my life. And then God can be a stranger to me. Distant. And why is that? Because I don't meet him in my daily life anymore. Not at my work. Not with my neighbors. Not on TV or in the media. Not in the music I listen to. The world we live in, congregation, has become and is becoming more and more a world without God, that lives without God, that doesn't mention God. God is out of the picture. And therefore, the relationship with Christ is hard for us to maintain. Seems like two different worlds. Sounds wonderful. Hard to keep up, hard to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ today. However, let's not think it was easy to have that relationship of faith with Jesus Christ in the past either. We read from the letter to the Hebrews, and as we mentioned this morning too, it was hard for them to maintain those Hebrews, people to whom that letter was written, it was hard for them to maintain that relationship too. They, those people needed encouragement on an ongoing basis too. They lived as Christians in an environment apparently that was not very friendly to Christians. Two worlds for them. There were only just a small little group in a big area. Some had lost jobs and even possessions because of the Christian faith. It wasn't easy for them to maintain the relationship of faith in Christ at that time, either in the pagan world in which they lived and often a world that didn't accept them. And they were getting tired. In Hebrews 12, the Spirit exhorts them Strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees and to run the race set before them. And just before the section we read in Hebrews 10, verse 39, it says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe in the saving of the soul. In other words, they're reminded that faith is worth it. You have to be reminded this. What you're, what you're doing here, what you're believing in, what you're holding on to, it's worth it. And you hear that repeated all through Hebrews 11, that faith is worth it. It's a kind of refrain that comes back every time in Hebrews 11. By faith, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was, go, uh, was called to go to the place he would receive as an inheritance. By faith. The whole chapter is meant to encourage those Hebrews to live in faith in God's promises in Christ in their circumstances too. And all the fathers of the Old Testament are, are mentioned and brought to their attention as examples of faith and of the value of faith so they can continue in faith. 
wasn't easy for those forefathers to walk in faith either. If you look through that chapter, think of Noah. Noah and his family were all alone in their trust in God, their faith. They lived in a godless world. Everyone outside their family was godless. They ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage, all without God. As the Lord Jesus mentions in the New Testament when he talks about the world that Noah lived in. Noah didn't meet God in his daily life either. People made fun of him. People made life hard for him when he started building this great ship on dry land. It wasn't easy for Noah to believe in that environment either. But he believed, and his faith was wonderfully rewarded. Think of Abraham. The man had to leave his own comfortable home, live as a sojourner in tents in a strange land among people who worshipped all kinds of other gods, Canaanites, who weren't always very friendly, near cities like Sodom and Gomorrah, where the lifestyle, the homosexual lifestyle, was the exact opposite what God asked from his people. Imagine that you heard a voice tonight. Pack up all your stuff and move to the country I will show you. And you don't even know where you're going. That wouldn't be easy today either, would it? Congregation, is it harder to believe today than it was in the past? It's actually, if you think about it, it's always been hard to believe, hasn't it? That's because it's not only the circumstances that make it so hard, the things outside of ourselves. No, it's especially what's in us that makes it so hard to believe. Our own sinful heart is especially what makes it so hard. We're resistant to it. See, the Catechism sees two lines, the line to Adam and the line to Christ. The first line, the line to Adam, that's the one that causes the trouble. We're all connected to Adam with the sinews of our being. We have so much in common with him, with our forefather Adam. Our complex physical structure and nervous system, his eyes are our eyes. Adam's arms and legs are our arms and legs. A lot of what we are comes from Adam. And sadly, also sin, our sinful nature, is what we inherit from him. And sin appeals so much to us from the beginning of our existence already. It's what we're comfortable with, with sin, with jealousy, with destructive desires with hatred against our neighbor, against God, 
disobedience, selfishness, stubbornness. Those things appeal to us by nature. We carry that stamp of our father Adam in our being. And that's what makes it so hard for us to choose for the Lord Jesus Christ. The difficulty with that is buried inside us, in our hearts. Of ourselves, we're condemnable with Adam. We brought God's wrath on ourselves. And our connection with our forefather Adam is so strong that we're reluctant to give up that way of sin, that relationship with Father Adam. That counts for us and our parents and grandparents. That counted for Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham too. All those others mentioned in Hebrews 11, they also were connected with Adam. And that's why it's such a miracle of God that anybody believes at all. The relationship with Adam is so strong yet that even when people are grafted into Christ by faith, they still, then they still have the tendency to want to fall back in that old way of Adam too yet. Those old relationships have such a strong pull on us yet. And so the relationship with Christ has to be continually strengthened. And the wonder is that God gives the means to strengthen that relationship too in the worship services. By means of the Spirit working through the opening of the Word. Also at home. And again, too, by means of the sacraments. Next Sunday, as we mentioned, we hope to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We need, we need the sacrament also to confirm our relationship with Jesus Christ again. So we don't fall back into that old connection with Adam. By means of the signs and seals of the bread and wine, the Lord Jesus Christ draws us to himself again. He says to, to us, remember, I in you and you in me. No, it's, it's not easy to believe. Not easy to believe. But actually, you know, the flip side of the coin is, that's actually strange too, isn't it? That, it? that it's so hard to believe. Because why should it be hard to believe? If you think that, about that relationship with Jesus Christ, it's so good for us. It's so good. It's so worth it. Think of what's asked in the first question of Lord's Day 7. Are all men then saved by Christ? just as they perished in Adam. Saved by Christ and perished by, in Adam. Who would we choose to have this relationship with? Christ or Adam, if you think about it. And the answer to that question is no, only those are saved who by true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. Pay attention now again to that word saved. That means Entitled to blessings. Entitled to blessings again. 
We're under curse because of sin. Because of the relationship with Adam, we're under curse. But Christ was cursed so that those who have that relationship of faith with him might receive blessing. The awful curse removed so that we might be blessed, blessed with a clear conscience before God, with wisdom, with life, with peace, with joy, and with God's protection against the attacks of the evil one, all ours through faith in Jesus Christ. Always and everywhere you're going to be better off with faith, with that relationship with Christ. Everybody should want that relationship with Christ through faith then, right? Why wouldn't everybody want to embrace Jesus in faith and never let him go? Why wouldn't everybody want to bask in the warmth of his mercy and love no matter what? Faith in Christ will certainly bring incredible blessing. In Christ, we're rich. In Christ, we have rest in all the uncertainties of this life. In Christ, we have incredible comfort even when we stand at the graveside of a loved one. Congregation, you realize it's so good to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To have that connection with Adam broken and the connection, that relationship with Christ encouraged so that it grows. It truly brings blessing upon blessing, that relationship. We live in such a broken world. So many things are broken down here. Broken health, broken hearts, broken relationships. But we can believe that it all can and will be made whole again. So much is also wrecked in creation, our environment. But Christ is going to make it all beautiful again. He's bringing about a new earth. Through faith in him, we can have glorious hope. And isn't that going to make you joyful in spite of the brokenness that we see around us today, now, that we experience? You can look beyond it in faith. Let people notice that joy of faith in you then too. Congregation, confess it to people around you. This is worth it. That relationship with Christ. Confess it to people who maybe don't even know Adam, but who walk in his way anyway, the way that leads to, to perdition. People perish in Adam. And thank God that he brought you on the way of life and blessing. And pray that by his spirit, he keeps you in that relationship with Christ. Pray that you may have and keep that relationship, even though the relationship with Adam still has so much pull on you yet. And pray that many others may come to that relationship with Christ too. And to the blessings that come with that.
pray for the wonder that children of Adam may embrace Christ in faith and enjoy all those benefits we mentioned with you. We come to the second point of the sermon, the assurance of faith through the Spirit. Answer 21 sounds pretty um, certain, doesn't it? You know, certainty comes to the fore here. What is true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. That's the first part of certainty here, sure knowledge. Accept the whole Bible from beginning to end as the truth, the truth from God. And then, you know, the answer continues, and at the same time, it is a firm confidence, firm confidence, that not only to others but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. Firm confidence, the second part of certainty in this Lord's day. Confidence which the Holy Spirit works in my heart by the gospel. You're confident that it's also for you, everything here in the Bible. All that certainty, that confidence, who has that today in this post-Christian age? People have let those kind of certainties go nowadays. That's the fashion. You can question everything, as I mentioned. Question the Bible. Everlasting righteousness and eternal salvation. Those are big, big words. And big words are suspect today. Doubt is in. A former Christian Reformed pastor has written a book entitled Not Sure, A Pastor's Journey from Faith to Doubt. In this book, he describes his journey from certainty in the Reformed faith to doubt. Doubt about everything. There are no certainties anymore, he says. Everybody has his or her own beliefs, and there's truth in all of them. And what's true for you isn't necessary, doesn't necessarily have to be true for somebody else. And so it's hard to choose what to believe, what to be convinced of. And many today question whether it's even necessary to choose at all. Let your life just be one huge question mark. Like it that way. Don't want any assurances and certainties. And then they seem to be okay with the brokenness of life and they're not interested in a system which explains things and puts things in their proper place. Which, for instance, declares that a marriage is a union of one man and one woman. Why not? Two men and one woman. Why not? Why not two men or two women? Congregation, a church which asserts certainties and proclaims convictions today is seen as old-fashioned and out of tune with 
today's Western society. People look at you funny when you talk to them about sure knowledge and firm confidence. So you know it all, do you? They make fun of you or of the church so that you hardly dare talk about your undoubted Christian faith anymore for fear of being made fun of. And you wonder, are we so off base as Church of Christ in this modern world? Are we being narrow-minded if we say, I'm sure the Bible is true, is God's word? I'm sure that those promises are for me? I'm confident. Are we so sure and confident of those things ourselves that we're willing to assert those things to others? Or are we sometimes not so sure either? Do we sometimes doubt them too? Brothers and sisters, young people, Doubt has always been around too. Think of what happened in Abram and Sarah's tent. When they were told that within a year they were going to have a son, Sarah laughed. And she laughed in unbelief. She doubted God's words. Think of Abraham too, the father of believers. He had a hard time holding fast with all certainty to God's promises. He figured that Eliezer, his head servant, would be the heir of his household. And then God had to assure him again and again that a son was coming from his own body and would be his heir and that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the night sky. God had to take him outside and see, say, look at those stars. Can you number them? So many will your descendants be from your body. No, even the most believing of the saints in the past had to struggle with doubts. And maybe you ask, how can that be since we confess in Lord's Day 7 that faith is a sure knowledge and a firm confidence? And then what must a Christian believe? The articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith. Is it, is it so that you can only publicly profess your faith if you know for 100% sure? Answer 21 of this Lord's Day doesn't seem to leave any room at all for doubts if you believe. But what about Abraham and Sarah? They had faith. They're held up in Hebrews 11 as examples of faith of the faith which is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By, by faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was well past the age. But Sarah also had her weak moments. Just like all who believe here will have weak moments. And weak moments don't suddenly make you an unbeliever. A true believer isn't someone who never, ever has a twinge of doubt, but who always and always stands sturdy and strong in life, in faith. No, Abraham and Sarah and Moses too 
and Samson, Samuel, David, all those believers of old mentioned there in Hebrews 11, they certainly had their weaknesses and their moments of doubt. No, their faith was not perfect. They didn't serve God with such zeal as he requires. And daily they had to contend with the weakness of their faith and with the evil desires of their flesh. You recognize, I hope, the words of the form for the Lord's Supper, which we'll read the Lord willing next Sunday afternoon. But the thing is that the, the certainty of their faith did run like a scarlet thread through their whole lives to the very end. They didn't cherish their doubts. They hated it when those doubts crept into their hearts. That's the temptation of our times, to doubt, to question. But whoever has a hard time with his or her doubts, whoever hardly dares to think that forgiveness of sins and everlasting salvation is really theirs, that person hasn't suddenly become an unbeliever overnight. The Catechism even acknowledges that in Lord's Day 7, and that's why it says at the end of, Lord, of, of answer 21, this faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. Works. Notice the present tense. It's an ongoing thing. Works and works again and works again. Works trust and confidence on an ongoing basis through the gospel. Be busy with that gospel then, especially when doubts rise in your heart. And pray for the Spirit who brings the gospel into your heart. He sows the seed of certainty and assurance in your heart. He assures you by means of the word that the promises in that word are trustworthy and true. And he strengthens faith by means of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. That's also how he works through the celebration of the Lord's Supper then. He assures with that piece of bread and that bit of wine that Christ's benefits are really for you personally. He assures us. He strengthens our confidence in Christ's work for each of us personally. And that lifts you up. Word and sacrament, you see they are the medicine against doubt, the disease of the virus of doubt. For God's Spirit is at work in you. And then he makes you more and more sure of your faith in Christ by the means he uses, word and sacrament. And the more convinced you are in your faith, the more you'll want to talk about it too, the more you want to confess that faith, your undoubted Christian faith about God's creation, about the Son's redemption, and about the Spirit's renewal. And those are big, big words. Big words, redemption, renewal. But we believe them we believe them. They're true and certain. Pray for the Spirit, congregation, that he gives all of us that certainty so that it's not 
only a matter of the mouth, but also of the heart, and not only of the heart, but also of the mouth, a matter of our whole lives. Amen.